CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday, Options Action fans. We've got a big show lined up for you. Here's what's on deck. First up, don't get spooked. Carter Wood thinks the demons may have been exorcised from the energy sector. Then, Tony Zhang thinks there's a way for high yield to yield you high returns. Finally, and that wouldn't be the weirdest thing that happened this week with Tesla. Mike go downshifts on the name. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts now. And welcome to Options Action. We begin with energy crude oil making a comeback alongside the markets this week. WTI rallying nearly 25 percent as investors bet that the worst is over for the energy space. Our Carter Worth says he's got the charts to prove it. So what are you seeing, Carter? Well, a bunch of charts, but I mean, something has happened this week. Seven weeks in a row, the energy sector is up. That's only happened eight times in the 32 year history of the sector and a probability of occurrence of one half of one percent. The follow-through is usually pretty big. So first, what do we know? We know that the sector bottomed actually before the market. We see on the first slide here that the energy sector bottomed on the 19th, the Thursday, while the market went on and made its low on Monday, the 23rd. On the next slide, we also know that this ricochet has been huge, right? We're talking about double the market. Of course, it plunged twice as much, dropped 65%. But the ricochet up 70% is twice that of the S&P up 34 and then this is the interesting thing. The next slide you'll see here very clearly. This shows something, again, that's only happened eight times in history. The sector itself is up seven weeks in a row. And what I have there is a brief table of what happens thereafter. Three months, six months, 12 months. And what you see, and there's the median and mean, but the median performance plus 2.6 over three months, plus 6%, and then plus 14.7 over 12 months, that is very robust. And interestingly, the market in those other instances did not do all that well. Anyway, some charts. First look at the XLE, the plain chart. This is the year-to-date chart, of course, the plunge and the ricochet. But then take a look at the next chart, how well it is tracking this little trend line off the low. And then the final chart. There was a gap, a sharp drop in gap on the 6th of March. And the premise here is that we're going to quickly fill that gap. The XLE closed at 38.78, and I think it's on its way to 42. And I want to continue to be long, and I want to be big on the long side. All right. Thanks, Carter. So, Mike, what do you make of those moves, those charts, and what's the trade? Yeah, so this is an interesting situation that we have here in energy because, obviously, in the near term, the fundamentals for the sector and for, the, you know, for North American oil remain exceptionally weak. We obviously haven't had a significant uptick in demand yet. So this is really a technical trade that we're looking at because it's very hard to make that fundamental forecast. But what's interesting is that we have been seeing some activity in the options market, specifically the crude oil futures markets this week, that indicated that some institutional participants might be thinking that in the 12 to 18 month time frame there could be a recovery in WTI. That was the one, of course, that traded negative on the May future earlier. And what we were seeing essentially was that there was a bet being made 
that the futures curve could switch into something called backwardation. That's when the near-dated futures are trading at a premium to the longer-dated ones. That's the exact opposite of what was going on this year. And that is a situation that typically arises when you have near-term demand that outstrips near-term supply. Here's the thing people need to remember about the energy space. We had a big and very rapid drop in demand, but supply just simply can't move around as quickly. Think about it trying to turn a super tanker around. Well, that's really the way the whole industry works from a logistical point of view. So what you can get is these pendulum swings where it overshoots to the downside, and it may, in fact, overshoot to the upside, maybe in 12 to 18 months. Equity prices are probably going to price that in before it happens. So if you're inclined to make a bullish bet, I would just bear in mind that there's still going to be more fallout from a fundamental standpoint. There's still a lot of bad credit in the space, but you can use options to make a tactical upside bet if you're so inclined and think that some of the people who are making bullish bets in crude might actually be onto something. Specifically, I was looking at the June-September diagonal spread, specifically the 38-21 September calls, buying those and then selling the June 41-21 strike calls, spending $2.85 for that. Now, this spread is only $3 wide. The reason, though, that it makes sense is because you're buying a longer-dated option. This nearer-dated one is going to expire more rapidly. The idea here is we're trying to sell the near-dated premium, which is highly elevated, own longer-dated upside without taking all of the downside risk that purchasing XLE right here might encounter. Tony, how do you like Mike's trade? So I'm not as confident here in the long run here because of the fundamentals that Mike was referring to. But if you look at the chart on XLE, I think it's very constructive for a short-term momentum play as Carter laid out because you have this triple top at 36. We broke out above that two weeks ago and we retested that as 36 and we're starting to move higher. You couple that with the recent momentum and relative strength, I think you have a pretty compelling case for XLE to reach back up to that 42 and fill that gap that Carter was talking about. But my preference here as far as playing a momentum play to the upside is to actually focus on a specific name within the XLE sector like Phillips 66 that's relatively strong. It's trading back above its 20-week moving average that I think has a higher probability of this stock moving higher. And I would use this trade structure somewhat like a bull call spread that allows me to take that short-term momentum play but risk just roughly 3 to 4% of the underlying stock price to take this type of bet. That's exactly where I was going to go, Tony. And Carter, I ask you this. Um, in your view, what is the strongest member of the XLE? Well, remember, the XLE, interestingly, of course, the whole sector is only 3% of the S&P. And two stocks, Exxon and Chevron, are essentially half the weight of the sector. So if one is really wants to be aggressive and play the theme overall, then it's the OIH, the ETF, that has the most beta and was beaten up the most. In terms of the biggest sort of safest name, I like Chevron better than Exxon. All right. Let's turn from one beleaguered area of the market to another, and that would be corporate debt. We've seen a lot of movement in the space recently, including a brand new bond offering from United Airlines just yesterday. Check out that stock surging today. And now that some investors are starting to place bets that the worst might be over in terms of the damage done to major companies by the shutdown. Could a corporate bond bounce be in store across the board? What do you think, Tony? 
Yeah, so I want to take a look at high-yield bonds because we've seen some pretty record inflows over the last five to six weeks into this particular segment of the market. So if we first take a look at the chart, if we look at HYG, I want to point our attention to the $80 level, which was the 2018 December low as a support level that we're just about to retest as resistance. And over the last few weeks, we found a base around $78, and I think that's the base that it needs to potentially propel itself above that $80 resistance level and then onto 82 and potentially $84 extended targets to the upside. Now, when we look at the fundamentals, there's two primary reasons why I think you're going to start seeing significant, uh, you're still going to continue to see inflows into HYG. And that's predominantly, first of all, because of investors seeking yield. If we look at U.S. Um, 10-year yields, you're looking at about an average of about 66 basis points on treasuries versus HYG is offering almost nine times that at 550 basis points. So investors seeking yield are going to look for these types of yields. And then you couple that with the fact that the Fed is outright going to start buying these high-yield ETFs. They've never done that before. That's going to provide investors with a sense of security on these types of funds, as well as provide a bit of a floor here on these assets prices. So the trade structure that I'm looking to use here for HYG is a risk reversal, is a call spread risk reversal where I'm going out to July and I'm selling the $75 puts collecting about $1.40 and I'm using the proceeds for that to buy a July $80 call option which costs about $1.75 and then I'm going to sell a July $84 call against that to collect about $0.35. Net-net for this call spread risk reversal, I'm trading it for a net zero cost. So this strategy is going to be profitable if HYG breaks out above that $80 resistance level that I'm referring to. And it's profitable all the way up to 84 where it's capped for any gains above 84. But I do think that's a, that's a fairly extended target here for HYG to the upside. Now to the downside, if HYG does not break 80, I actually have no losses between 75 and 80, which gives me about a 6% buffer to the downside here for HYG. And this strategy is only suffers losses below 75, which gives me about a 6% buffer to the downside. And that's a risk that I'm fairly comfortable taking given the fact that the Fed is going to start buying these types of ETFs starting in perhaps as early as next week. Uh, Mike, I guess two questions. Do you like Tony's trade structure? And we've already seen a pretty sizable move in HYG based on the expectation that the Fed will be in the market. So um, where do you think uh, it goes from here? Yeah, I think that's quite interesting. I know that you and Karen have spoken about that fairly extensively, just how much the high-yield market has basically bounced on the notion that they would do this even before the Fed started to engage in these types of purchases. You know, two things end up happening when you create, and this is literally kind of the Fed put situation that we're talking about here. Number one, it creates other buying interest that does create a little bit of a floor One other thing that it's probably likely to do is begin to compress some of the elevated volatility that we saw in the space. And for that reason, making sure that your short premium can make a lot of sense here. And one other thing I would quickly point out is that, you know, 6% in a lot of stocks, given the volatility that we've seen, wouldn't seem like much of a buffer. But of course, high yield is basically an index of Mm -hmm. high yielding bonds and 6% moves to the downside would be a material one. I rather like the structure and, of course, sure. the setup, and I, and I think this is probably going to work out nicely. Uh, actually, we do have some breaking news concerning about United Airlines' debt offering. Phil LeBeau joins us on the phone with the very latest. Looks like they pulled it, Phil. They have, Melissa, and this is not a surprise. Remember, yesterday afternoon, 
uh, it started to percolate around uh, the bond market that there was limited appetite for $2.25 billion in bonds that uh, United was uh, was essentially offering. Rick Santelli said yesterday afternoon it didn't look like there was going to be a whole lot of appetite for it. So, again, United has pulled that offering. And, Melissa, the significance of this is that there have been so much debt that has been brought to the market by the airline industry just since March, well over $24 billion. You have to wonder if the debt market is saying, we've got enough for now. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau uh, with the latest on United Airlines. Um, Mike, I'm going to go back to you. What do you quickly make of, of this news? I mean, it sounds like it could be an airline-specific issue at this point. I think it is an airline-specific issue. I mean, there's going to be a lot of businesses that are going to be able to hit the reset bet button. I'm not sure that that necessarily applies to the airlines. There has to be some evidence that there's going to be basically a return to levels of air travel that's significantly higher than what we've got right now. And, of course, even if it increased dramatically, that's not going to get us anywhere close to where we were. I mean, obviously, we've all seen the statistics. We've seen air travel drop down to levels that haven't been seen since the 1950s. And, of course, we're dealing with infrastructure and a very capital-intensive business in an environment where a lot of investors are highly skeptical about whether they can recover quickly. And, of course, that's one of the things you need if you're going to loan money to somebody. So I'm not surprised to see what we're, we're seeing here and uh, I think there's still a lot more uncertainty to come in that space. Yeah, it does look like the United Airlines stock is dropping in the aftermarket session down now by about three and three quarters percent. Really quickly, Carter, um, what does this chart look like to you? Well, yeah, well in United, I mean, look, let's just say this. It's been bankrupt, I think, three times in my lifetime. That says it all. All right. It is dropping as we speak, down 4.6%. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what is coming up next. Up next, don't pretend nothing happened this week. Mike Coe will bring some calm to this week's comedy. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. We've got even more breaking news, and again, we go to Phil LeBeau for it. Phil. Melissa, Tesla has just uh, filed an 8K, and in the 8K they announced that they have opened up basically a revolver with the Industrial Bank of China, and it comes out to $565 million that Tesla will be able to borrow to fund the expansion of the Shanghai Gigafactory. And that's a Gigafactory that they are in the process of expanding. It's already up and running but they're going to be expanding it. And again, they're going to open up a $565 million revolver uh, with a Chinese bank, again, to expand the production facilities in Shanghai. Melissa? All right, Phil, thank you. Phil Abo on a busy Friday for him. Uh, let's stick with Tesla here. It was another monster week for the stock, gaining 16%. And if you're convinced that now is the time to try and play this high flyer through options, well, Mike's got a plan for you. Here is his call to action. Mike. 
Yeah, so we were talking earlier about how the energy market is a technical trade. I think that maybe the most technical trade that is available in almost any instrument has got to be Tesla stock at this point. It's very hard, obviously, for those who are taking a look at it to get a grip of what the appropriate valuation of the company should be. But here's a couple things we know about it. Obviously, investors love the company. There are some long-term and substantial holders of the company, including Elon Musk himself, who are not inclined to sell their stock. And what ends up happening is you end up squeezing the shorts in this thing. We have very high implied volatility, and a lot of people are probably looking at this thing saying, gee, I really wish that I had taken the opportunity to buy it when it was almost half the price only uh, a couple months ago. So for those of you who are sort of inclined to make that bet, there's a couple things I would ask you to take a look at. First of all, we ought to take a look at a couple technicals, including where that all-time high was, because we might presume that there might be some resistance to that level. And also there's an unfilled gap right between 650 and 685. So trying to take advantage of the elevated implied volatility and also keep being mindful of that gap while also trying to collect a little bit of premium, what I was looking at was something called the June 685, 650, one by two put spread. In this trade, I would buy one of the 685 puts and sell two of the 650 puts. Now, normally when people are buying put spreads, you consider that to be a bearish trade. And in a way it is because this would see the highest profits if the stock drifted down to that 650 strike. But actually you're gonna collect about 1250 every single time you put this trade on. So you're gonna make money as long as the stock stays above that level. And in fact, it can drift down through that strike by some substantial amount you would actually end up being put the stock close to about the 600 level if you're in this, which is a significant discount to where the stock closed today. Bear in mind, this is a stock that can move around a lot, but this is a way that you can take a very modestly or neutrally to modestly bullish bet on the stock. And if you really wanted to own it, you could and you might if it dropped, but it would have to drop quite a lot before you actually were forced to purchase the shares. Carter, what's your take on the stock and Mike's trade? I mean, I think the stock is set up very bullishly. We know it was a blow off top, that uh, sort of epic run to 969 on Feb 2nd and the collapse, the 60 percent sell off. But the day to day action, the week over week action is so steady, despite the volatility. I think we're going to reapproach the highs. All right. Well, Mike, last word. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those situations where I know the shorts are obviously inclined to go after it from a fundamental point of view. I would caution anybody who's inclined to do that. I think the only way to really play this thing is with options, whether you're making a bullish or a bearish bet here. But right now, implied volatility is high. You can collect a little bit of money doing trades like this one. All right, up next, one payment stock taking off on its earnings this week. We'll tell you how our traders just cashed in on this move. Take a check on shares of United Airlines dropping on news that the company is pulling its $2.25 billion bond offering. We knew already that uh, demand for this was tepid, that they were forced potentially to jack up the yield to as much as 11 percent. They pulled it all together, and we are seeing other airlines falling in the after hours uh, in sympathy. Let's uh, take some time and look back on some of our open trades. Last week, Tony said Activision was about to level up on earnings. Take a listen. We recently broke out above a $63 major resistance level, came back to retest that as support, and is now starting to rise higher from that. So this type of relative strength is exactly what I typically look for going into an earnings event. I'm going out to May, and I'm selling the $64, $61 put credit spread here. And he was right. Activision soared on its earnings report, and it's up double digits since the trade. So, Tony, what are you doing now? 
So this trade actually exceeded my expectations, but if you sold this call, uh, this put credit spread, you would have collected roughly 97, 98% of the credit. It's time to take profit and move on. I will say that you have one more stock in this particular sector that has yet to report earnings, which is Take-Two Interactive on May 20th. I think you could potentially have a very similar setup for that stock as well. All right, let's move on here. Last week, Cohen Carter predicted PayPal would cash in on its earnings results. Look at the authority of this level. Uh, the stock has approached this and reapproached this, and this is a perfect kind of setup for a news-related breakout. Earnings and earnings are coming next week. Instead, I'm trying to take a look at a trade that maybe not swinging for the fences is more like trying to bat a single. I was looking at something called a strangle swap. That sounds complicated. It isn't really. It's a lot like calendar spreads that we often talk about. In this strategy, you would sell the May 8th weekly 115-130 strangle, so you're selling both the put and the call, and then buying that exact same structure in June. They were right. PayPal took its earnings report to the bank. The stock is up more than 20% since we put that trade on. So, uh, Mike, how are you managing this? Trying to bat a single when the stock hits a home run. Carter made a great call, and uh, I think that trade I came up with was a little bit too conservative for this. I actually tweeted this out, how I adjusted the trade. I rolled up to the 145 strike, which is where the stock ended up trading. And by the way, for anybody who's watching, you should follow us on Twitter so you can get those kinds of updates if you like. Carter made a great call. My trade structure, meh. <laughs> so, Carter, what do you see next for the stock? Well, there's only one other time in PayPal's history, up 20% in a week. My hunch is to harvest gains likely to consolidate here for a long time. So take the money and run. And Tony, what are your thoughts on this and how Mike is managing this trade? I think Mike's doing the right thing, but you know we were surprised by a lot of these earnings announcements, such as the, the um, Activision one that I had. So I think a lot of s names are exactly the same thing. Take your profits and run. All right. Nice week, guys. <laughs> Up next, we got the final call. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. We've got time for a tweet. One viewer asks, how would you play Cisco heading into earnings next week? Mike, why don't you take that? Yeah, implied volatility is slightly elevated for a name that probably moves around 6% on earnings. I think the call here, because I'm not expecting the kind of big pop out of this one that we've seen out of other stocks, is calendar spreads. Either calls or puts will work just close to at the money. Carter, how does the chart look going into earnings? I think it's okay. <laughs> a man, a few words. I don't know how to take that, Carter. When you just say things are okay, does that mean that... I mean, I mean it's stable. You know, you're, you're either in or you're out. You're buying or selling. Um, I like it. You, okay, you like it. I mean, Carter, it's like pulling teeth sometimes. <laughs> Time now for the final call. Last word from sometimes the options. Less bit. is more. <laughs> Carter, less is more. What do you say? Final call. Energy long. Tony. The Fed's buying HYG. I'm going along for the ride. I'm buying a call spread risk reversal. Mike Coe. 
You know, I like Tony's HYG trade, and I also like using calendar diagonals in XLE if you're inclined to follow what Carr's talking about. All right, that does it for us. Have a great weekend. Don't go anywhere. CNBC Special Report's up next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.